Welcome back, friends and scoundrels. I'm Brant. And I'm Lynn. And this is Horror in the Hills. Specifically, movie book. Because we're not talking about a new name yet, still. <laughs> we're just that on top of it. And today, we're talking about Hannibal to finish out the Hannibal franchise because we're not doing Hannibal Rising. Couldn't, could, can't make me. I'm not going to try to. Uh, got to do the thing. What'd you forget to do? Look for the thing. Um, so that means read your book. <clears throat> you remember Hannibal Lecter, gentleman, genius, cannibal. Seven years have passed since Dr. Lecter escaped from custody. And for seven years, he's been at large, free to savor the sense, the essences of an under, of an unguarded world. But intruders have entered Dr. Lecter's sanctuary, piercing his new identity, sensing the evil that surrounds him. For the multimillionaire Hannibal left maimed, for the corrupt Italian policeman, and for the FBI agent Clary Starling, who once stood before Lecter and who has never been the same, the hunt for Hannibal Lecter has begun. All of them, in their separate ways, want to find Dr. Lecter, and all three will get their wish, but only one will live long enough to savor the reward. That's the one I use. I always forget what I use. I was just to say, I disagree with this. For seven years and the evil that surrounds him, for seven years he was perfectly fine. And Clarice wasn't really hunting him. No. <laughs> just, just saying. The back of the book is inaccurate. Actually, that Italian policeman wasn't really hunting him either until he found him. You've got sand just all over my stuff. It's fine. Alright, my turn. Hannibal continues the story begun in Silence of the Lambs. Ten years have passed since Dr. Hannibal Lecter escaped from custody. Ten years since FBI agent Clarice Starling interviewed him in a maximum security hospital for the criminally insane. The doctor is now at large in Italy, gloriously at liberty in an unguarded world, but Starling has never forgotten her encounters with Dr. Lecter. His cold voice still haunts her dreams. I mean, that's more accurate. It is more accurate. <laughs> that is incredibly more accurate. I mean, it doesn't tell you anything, but... <laughs> no, but it is more accurate. Because I even made a note in the book about the dream-haunting thing because I questioned if it replaced the screaming of the lambs or if his voice sounded alongside them. Ooh. I'm sorry, I can't. I know you said it's fine. But it's... I'll throw a sheet over my stuff next time you sand. Alright, so... That's that. So everything I sent you messages and told you to put pins in to discuss, forget. Because none of it is relevant because of the ending of the book. Because it went so off the rails. The disappointment and the ridicule and yep. religion, faith, and yep. That's all I got for you. Yep, it went so off the rails. None of it is relevant. You still talk about it though. We gotta have something to talk about. <laughs> I suppose we'll start with you. What do you want to talk about? Mm. Other than the pigs for Verger, or do they post anywhere else? 
host. What do you mean? Like, are they relevant in any other way? The pigs? Yeah. Not just those pigs specifically, but pigs in general. No. Ah. Because I think they might have been trying to go for a theme and then just gave up on it. <laughs> just like the buck. Because <laughs> um, when um, Hannibal kills the pickpocket and Patsy is washing his hands, the fountain that he's doing it in has a pig fountain or a boar. Ah. I'm like, ah, more pigs. Okay. Are we doing something with this? What does this mean? And I mean, Krenler's a pig, so. <laughs> Krenler is a pig. Then, I also had this thought if um, Harris might have been influenced a little bit by the Pinkerton pig farm in Canada. Serial killer. Mm-hmm. Fed his victims to pigs. But no. Like, while that guy was doing that at the time, uh, he wasn't arrested until 2002 and wasn't sentenced until 2007. So, no. So, no. Unless Harris had some weird inside baseball and knew what was going on. In which case, why didn't you call the cops sooner? <laughs> oh, that's something that I thought was going to happen out of nowhere. What's that? Uh, when um, Clarice is interviewing Mason, mm-hmm. he's talking about um, how he's right with God, the Riz, all mm-hmm. that. And he's talking about his faith that, uh, this is of course a lie because he's going to take it into his own hands, his faith that God will smite his enemies and drive them from him and he will hear the lamentations of their women. I thought that was going to play more on Mason targeting Clarice, but it went nowhere. I mean, they follow her, but they don't ever do anything with it to make sure she's... There to lament? Yes. Or that he's there to see her suffer or any of it. I should have known better. I've seen the movie. Yes. Well, he's got quite a hand in her falling from grace and the FBI and stuff. He does. He does see that. You're right. But still, like, that isn't even... That's just a part of the trap for Hannibal. It is the trap for Hannibal. Because he only comes when she's in distress. Or so the psychologist says. Yeah. Which is true. I mean, there's no evidence to the contrary. So, I did have a note on your disappointment. Yeah. Because Clarice calls it exacerbated in the movie. He eats people who exacerbate him. But, like, the disappointment thing, like, never comes up. Not, Not in a meaningful way. Like... The words are spoken because they're words from the book. Yeah. Because I brought up the disappointment because when she's talking to Barney, um, they talk about why he killed Miggs, and Barney says it's because he disappointed him. It embarrassed him. He was disappointed in that display of behavior. And then uh, Clarice asked Barney if he was worried about uh, Hannibal coming after him for the stuff he said about him in the news, and Barney said, no, I think you'd be disappointed if I didn't. And that got me thinking that maybe Lecter targets the disappointment, like the flautist that ruined the sound of the orchestra. It's a disappointment. I think it's more about being rude. 
know we talked about it in Red Dragon, mm-hmm. but when it shows it in the, the movie version, it's not just that the flautist is bad, it's that he's bad and still thinks he's above everybody else. I don't he's know why. He's got a lot of arrogance and conceit. I don't know why I keep calling it the flautist. The cellist in Hannibal. The Italian cellist. I don't know about him. Yeah, he kills him because he ruined the sound of the... Yeah, I don't really know where to... Else to... I guess we'll just kind of bumble around until we get a flow going. <laughs> okay. The hypnotism at the end of the book for why Clarice goes with Hannibal, I think, is so... Disappointing. Disappointing and <laughs> ham-fisted and just lazy. They're set up throughout the book for her making the choice to go and being disillusioned yes. with her world as it is. And it, it made me so mad. And I mean, Hannibal does kind of drop some of those seeds into her to feel that way. Which, I mean, feel how you want about that. But I I'm, didn't think about this before in some of our minor talks beforehand. It also undermines one of the other major themes in this story. Uh, the sexism directed at Clarice. Right? It totally takes away her agency and it just... It kind of just turns her into... His little puppet. His little puppet. And it loses everything he likes about her. <laughs> right. It makes it makes no sense. Especially whatsoever. when you get into he's trying to make her his sister and Yeah. Like all these weird things that like it It's undermines the Cleese character. It undermines Hannibal's character because he wouldn't do that. Because that's the exact kind of thing he would eat people for. Right. <laughs> right, and then it introduces, it implies this weird incestuousness that he had for his sister. It was gross, and then it incestuates his mother, too, because you talked to me about this a little bit. That's why I know. Because <laughs> none of that stuff happens in the movie. Because... That wouldn't have gone over well. She... Yeah. <laughs> Because she doesn't even go with him, for one. See, I wanted her to go with him, but I wanted it to be her choice. And it's set up for it in the book. Well, especially, like, he goes, would you ever say to me, stop? If you truly love me, stop. She's not in a thousand years. There's that disappointed. He'd be disappointed with her if she did. And then he kisses her, and she handcuffs him, and then he cuts his hand off and gets away. It's just... It's so lazy. It makes me so angry. And they're set up for it in the book. If there wasn't set up for her making the choice... They're set up for it in the movie, too. um... Because her conversation with Crawford about, you know, the difference between uh, empathy and understanding, and understanding empathy and actually truly empathizing with someone. And it talks about how uh, Clarice is finding that Good and terrible can coexist side by side. And then her questioning, Hannibal making her question her faith in the institution she's raised in. You know, the FBI and if it's something her father would actually be proud of. And then she really opens her eyes to how she's being treated. 
It's... Everything was there for her to make the choice. And then, nope, we're going to drug her and hypnotize her and turn her into a completely different person. Yeah, because you've got, for the movie side of it, you've got um, that post-meeting meeting. You know, when they, they send her down to the basement. And after that, when she gets put on the Hannibal case, you know, she talks about learning to take a bullet in the field as a field agent. Something you learn to live with, but you don't accept taking one in your in the back when in your boss's office yeah. for doing what you're supposed to do. And oh, I forget exactly. I don't remember if it Krendler or the other guy. One of them says it changes nothing. And she says no, it changes everything. It changes me. It like that's the start of which direction is she gonna go? Yeah. Is she going to stay with the FBI or is she going to fall into Hannibal's life? And, and she sees the fort coming up. And then we got the further fall for her. Um, stuff Hannibal says in one of their phone conversations. In their phone conversation, because I only have one. You'll have to fill me in. That doesn't happen in the book. I, I think it fills in for the second letter a little bit. Because the second letter it, just says that thing about the Philistines. Oh, I got a note on that. Because in the movie, Hannibal doesn't write that one. Mason does. That's what they use to get her suspended. I mean, they it's, s- it's a setup that she had this and didn't tell anybody. They still use it that way, but Hannibal does actually write it. Yeah, no, in the movie, they, Mason writes it. Mason writes... Um, a note in one of the foreign newspapers uh, warning Hannibal that danger is coming using the code that Hannibal gave Clarice to write with. Hmm. And they frame her with that, too. Oh, man, why didn't they use that? Because that's a good callback to Red Dragon. And... and then because they're holding her mail and they're getting it first, they've got the Philistines letter. Hmm. Nope, that's the Philistines' letter is just a pure setup to. That's the setup trap to get Hannibal to come out of hiding, completely. Because I mean, there's like even like, I'm probably reading too much into it, but kind of a metaphorical setup for her making that choice. She says you can stack the odds in your favor, but if you get into enough gunfights, you will be, will be killed in one. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking about uh. Brigham and uh, just faith in the FBI in general. And I don't think it necessarily, this is what I was thinking before the hypnotism thing, that uh, she wasn't talking about gunfights in general and falling to it that way. She was talking about her decision to choose Lecter over the FBI. Well, I mean, the gunfights, you know, she's been in plenty of gunfights. And it's just a matter of time before you get hit. It's just because she wasn't actually talking about. But there is a meta- I, But there is a metaphor there. Like her brain is processing through this metaphor of gunfights. Yes, because it's while she's questioning her faith in the FBI. Oh, another thing that I think, um, like I could have even gone with the hypnotism thing a little bit if, like, it was in like a form of therapy where he was just getting her to let go or open up to, like they actually use hypnotism for, these uh, deep-seated things, 
because a thing they hit on throughout the book is Clarice has taste. Okay. And everything she finds around her is tasteless, and that's how part of how she's able to track Lecter and actually find him is because she aligns with his taste, and she spends so much time with him, and their tastes align. The fine wines, they both have an appreciation for fine cars, and she wishes she could have the finer things, but she can't. Because that's, that's part of his influence upon her. Yes. And because her it's, own... Because it's, it's something that hits that she's never been able to forget from the their first conversation in silence where he talks about, you know... Her trying to cover up her... She looks like a tasteless rube. Yeah. yeah. With her cheap bag and shoes. Trying to get away from what she is. Yes. And she says that she can't possibly be snobbish because she has nothing to be snobbish about, but she shows throughout the book that she is an incredible snob because she judges people for the stuff they have because she finds it tasteless. She judges them for their faith in whatever it is they have faith in because she's lost hers. And she's an intellectual snob. So this is probably another thing that doesn't actually go anywhere because... Mm -hmm. You could play on this idea that she spent so much time trying to get away from what she was that she's lost who she is. Yep, it's yet another thing that goes nowhere. Interesting. You know, for the notes saying that, or, or the details saying that he spent years working on this book, it doesn't show. Well, that's just parts of it are good. It's got good build-up, good lead-up, and then it gets to the end. And it's just, it's just like the last maybe 20 pages where, I don't know, it's like, I don't know, my stupid face couldn't come across there, but I just made a stupid face at it. <laughs> it's okay, I missed it, so I'm right there with the audience. Because <laughs> like, toward the end, as she's following Lecter and when he gets kidnapped, she keeps repeating the you're a warrior part and her lack of... It's just... Mm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Mm. So... Oh, and it even shows that she chooses to trust Hannibal over the FBI because she doesn't wait for them and doesn't listen to them. But when Lecter says, hand me the knife, I'll finish cutting myself free, she just hands him the knife. Doesn't even think about it. Here's the knife. Cut yourself free. But I mean, free. he's never shown any reason to not trust him. Like, he played around with her a little bit, but he always came through. And... Um, that's something I think he got accustomed to doing while he was locked up because he was bored and needed something to do. I think that's what, I, I don't remember if we actually talked about that the time or two that I brought it up, his childlike attitude. Yeah. And, and his interactions with people are just his form of entertaining himself because there's nothing else there. 57. It was bothering me that I didn't know exactly how many pages of this book were absolute shit. The last 57 pages. Okay. So, like, 500 pages of this book are good. 57 were shit. Language. I'm sorry. So, one of the themes that does carry over, at least from Red Dragon, because I don't think it's as prominent, in Silence of the Lambs, which is actually something that should have been played on a little bit more, is the corruption of the FBI. Because, like, it's not real strong in Red Dragon, but you see it in how Crawford manipulates 
Graham and the way they work with the media and how they say things there and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like you see here, how they're, you know, will so willing to throw Clarice under the bus and um, a few things get dropped like Waco because mm -hmm. this was within the decade of Waco. And additionally, um, Thomas Harris went to school at Baylor in Texas, which is in Waco. Yeah. <laughs> so, it might be that. Well, it does hit on the, it, it gets really heavy into the FBI thing too. Like, even after Clarice is gone, so this isn't even stuff that she sees, they don't list her as kidnapped. They list her as a missing person, so they don't have to do the same amount of protocol. <laughs> and they don't list her as an agent either. She's just a free person. So that they don't have to do all this stuff. And it makes her friend really mad. And kind of disenchants her friend with the FBI. And she actually thinks about quitting. But she stays because she has more resources. And like she hunts down Barney and ends up questioning him and all this stuff. Because the FBI won't. And she's... Because mm -hmm. they don't care. I mean, the FBI has... The FBI and all the departments of the justice... If and government in general have shown their willingness to do that. I'm waiting for a certain somebody's time to come with recent events, but I mean, we can, uh, Andrew Cuomo, right? Wasn't he the, whoever the governor of New York was, he, um, uh -huh. as soon as he lived out his usefulness, they dumped him. I mean, they didn't do it for the reasons he should have been dumped, you know? Killing tens of thousands of grandmas, but, <laughs> but you know, they, they found a reason to throw him under the bus and get him out of the way. Oh, that's what that one's for. But, I mean, Waco was interesting to me because, like, that was, I, I don't think it was necessarily botched in quotation marks. But, like, the stuff that's come out since then that... Everybody except for interested parties recognizes as being more true shows like how nasty these agencies can be. Yeah. It's like the only people who still run with the official narrative are the FBI, the DEA, and the mainstream media, and anybody who doesn't actually care about the truth that the Branch Davidians weren't gun smuggling, they weren't racist they weren't doing any of the crap that the fbi said they were doing and like i i do need to do more research with it myself because it does kind of interest me but you know and that was an attack on americans by the government but just the fact that they dropped some of those names one it, it is a neat little easter egg that harris even included himself and it either coincidental or whatever that he went to Baylor but um I also find it pretty interesting that with the exception of Clarice and Will Graham that everybody else around them in the government is either incompetent or just really bad people yeah because even Crawford like we pointed out in talking about Red Dragon how terrible he is Whatever it takes to get the job done. Throughout the book, and I'm sure the movie, they refer to Hannibal as a monster. Mm -hmm. And while he does kill people, seven that they know of, which 
honestly, in the large scale of things, isn't a lot. They don't, he doesn't actually do anything truly monstrous, other than, you know, when he bites that nurse's face, his heart rate doesn't change. But it's not like he's out there stalking and killing every night, and he goes seven years. Well, it... Only, you know, doing a violinist and a man to take his job. But I think the real monster, they keep calling him a monster, and it, it, it doesn't really show that he's any different than other serial killers. To make him so much greater of a monster. The real monster is the FBI. And that's something I was going to touch on a little bit earlier. Is you know. When you when you said. Good and terrible can exist together. Yeah. Like. It, it does raise the question of what is actually good. And what is actually bad. Like the FBI kills bad guys. And they. But at the same time. They get to decide who the bad guys are. Who the bad guys are. And in the speaking just... And then they use language like monster and... Just within the confines of this book, they're monstrous toward Clarice. They use her and then they cut her off like a dead limb when they're done with her. But as I was just talking about with Waco, the demonization of these people leading up to um, the events in, in Waco and then afterwards or throughout and then afterwards for decades i mean we're 30 years on that now since yeah. that's happened yeah I, actually this will be the 30 year anniversary this year and just so many other instances that i don't want to get into because they're too raw <laughs> polarizing right now that you know the truth will come out in time yeah so, you know, so long after that nobody even cares. And they go, oh, well, while the new thing is happening, that they're all worked up about, that they're choosing sides the same again. You mentioned when we were discussing earlier that you liked getting a look inside the mind of Hannibal Lecter. I did when I was younger. I don't know if that'll still hold true now. I do not. I'm just, Probably because this isn't actually Hannibal. In any case, <laughs> I think part of what made him scary is you didn't understand why he did what he did. And you could see the sharpness of his intelligence that drove him. You could always see the lines, the path he used to get to his conclusions. And in this book, that is completely ruined because we do get inside his mind. And it, it doesn't really justify what he does, but it gives a reason for it. Which makes him a little bit less scary. And a lot just more creepy. And he becomes more omnipotent. I hate that word. I can never say it right. Omnipotent? Yes. Because you no longer see how he knows things. He just knows things. Because inside his mind, he's always thinking about his sister. Who was eaten when he was six years old. Mm-hmm. And he wants to make place for her in this world so she'll come back. And the place he's chosen is Clarice. And that's why he likes Clarice. Totally changes everything. It's completely stupid. And then they get to the hypnotism part. He's talking to Clarice about, while she's like fully hypnotized at this point, how he's trying to make a place for his sister 
in the world in Clarice's place and that Clarice will have to vacate her place for it. And then it gets weird because part of uh, her hypnotism, she helped her get o- he helped her get over the loss of her dad by saying that her dad's always with her in her mind, built her mm-hmm. a mind palace, all this stuff. And Clarice says back to him, couldn't uh, Misha, his sister, exist in your mind? Can't we share the space and we'll be like sisters? And then she goes on to say, tell me, Dr. Lecter, did your mother breastfeed you? And it gets completely weird. I mean, it was already completely weird, but this is the point where I just wanted to chuck the book across the room. Because <laughs> it was so out of the blue. Like, there's no... It's just so... What did you twist? As Robot but, Chicken would say. <laughs> but not, because it's just... Why? This whole thing with his sister, and... Does, does it feel like the ending was rushed? Yes. Like, maybe there was some pressure to, hey, we really want to do this, we need something now. It feels so rushed and so out of place. Kind of like the chapters where he changes voice and starts talking directly to me. (sighs) But it, it feels so rushed and so out of place. And based on the timeline, he fully hypnotizes her like in the matter of a week or so, to the point where, uh, he kidnaps Krenler and they're eating his brain and she just, can I have more? And just nonchalant, like, yeah, eating this guy who tormented me brain, completely fair. Definitely. It's delicious. Should take the wine off the ice, though. Contrast with the movie where it's just a matter of days that the whole thing takes place, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really establish any timeline or anything. Oh, the timing in the book is all terrible and all over the place anyway. That aside, I mean, there's no, like, distinctive period of time that this is taken over. Like, I mean, the whole thing probably takes place over a period of weeks, but, like, from, like, at a certain point, it, like, maybe a couple of days at most. And it's hard. Like, right now, I I didn't think about that while watching it, so I couldn't timestamp it. But, like, he takes her from Mason's, kidnaps Krenler, and then she wakes up and he's eating his brain. Like, the the dinner thing happens in their conversation. Yes, from what I remember, like, everything that Hannibal says is actually something that Clarice says in the book. And then she gets disgusted and doesn't want him to eat Paul, which I think is powerful because it keeps her, like, no, I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. Like, I'll leave with you, but I'm not that kind of person. Because it's, she still views it as wrong. Yes. Because I I like the dark romances. I did want her to go with him. But the, the hypnotism thing just makes me so mad at, like, the entire book. Because she could have made that choice. And even during the hypnotism part, like, there's a setup for her to make the choice. He says, there's clothes for you in the closet. Your old stuff is on the table. And she chooses to put on the pretty dress and the nice shoes and the jewelry rather than putting on her gun. And she makes that choice. I mean, she's hypnotized at that point, so... It's just like him scaling how deep she's in. But I would have liked to have seen that been her actual choice. Her actual moralizing over it. And then them leaving together. Because there's an 
epilogue at the end where they're at the opera and Barney sees them and they're just having a laugh and enjoying the opera, kind of like how Alfred sees Batman at the end mm-hmm. of Batman, except, you know, Barney runs because he doesn't want to get killed. <sighs> Although they give no indication that that would even happen, except the author turns to talk to me at that point and said, we should probably go before we get killed too. This is not a book review. Stop ranting about the book. How yeah, disappointing no, it is. like, I don't know. Because it's been so long since I've read the book, I really don't remember much of anything. I just remember really liking the Mind Palace stuff. When I said getting inside his mind, that's what I meant. Mm. The Mind Palace stuff. I don't even remember any of the other stuff inside of his mind. I just remember the Mind Palace stuff. Even some of the Mind Palace stuff takes him to that level of being almost supernatural. Because while he's in the Mind Palace, he can't feel any pain. And I know you can separate yourself from pain to a point, but he's being electrocuted in the eye. Yeah. Yeah, nah. So it, it, I don't know. It's disappointing. (laughs) So I did make a note on the Philistines written by Mason, not Hannibal. Why the change? I think after the coded stuff, I think it's just combining those two things to hurry things along a little bit. Yeah. Movie magic hit. Although I don't think Mason would have thought to write that. Well, when we get more into Mason here in a little bit, I do have to... In the book, does Hannibal make lewd comments in regards to Clarice? Does Does it get into the tapes much? In the book? Or does she just have them? Uh, it does. Yes. In, in the movie, they do specific things. Like, and this one particularly irked me because it's a, a specific change. Like, they changed his dialogue. I suppose you could say that, but it doesn't indicate. I'll come put a pin in that. Um, because, like, when he's talking because it's from when he's talking to Clarice while he's locked up the Crawford's recordings and it's the one where he not Crawford Chilton um but it's when he's talking to Clarice about Crawford and if she imagines him thinking about fucking her and in this they changed that dialogue to do you ever think of I'm thinking about fucking you and that is not something Hannibal would say. Now, my pen is maybe she's imagining it that way. Maybe. But it doesn't indicate that there's a shift in... Because you can't really... I mean, I suppose maybe you could if you distorted it or something. But there's no real indication that she's implying her own version of things on it and it just it's gross and it's not a Hannibal thing like when he visits her house and she's sleeping he takes a picture of her face and puts it over a model who's like bent over in this really suggestive way and then he comments on her feet later like it, it, the you have very shapely feet 
It's yeah. just a random tag online in their conversation. Like, what the hell was that? No, because he... Because he never really interacts with her that way. Like, he just follows her to the supermarket and he was going to leave her a bottle of wine for her birthday. Mm-hmm. That whole phone call and I know you've got the other gun and hide and seek in the mall or whatever it is they do, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't happen. He doesn't break into her house. He sits in her car and licks the steering wheel. Yeah, and it's like those those overly sexual like I'm not and I'm not saying that he doesn't have a a sexual type attraction to her. Yeah. I think it is there. It's just that's not what he would do. Like he, it, it reduces him to a level of a common serial killer instead of a guy who actually has a purpose and believes and and almost on a faith kind of level that he's doing good by doing these bad things, which you know is brings some justification from Hannibal Rising because we're not since we're not doing that I'll go ahead and talk about it here because in Hannibal Rising it's not just that. Misha is eaten, he's forced to eat her. And then when he grows up and he's capable of doing it, he hunts down the people that killed his sister because they all survived. Yeah. And he kills them and eats them. And then it starts this this idea of him killing bad people or whatever. Yeah. So it adds a layer of justification to it. I mean, it is what it is makes him more the sympathetic villain because we like those i think the whole thing that they did to hannibal makes him a lot less scary and overall makes the book a lot less scary well thrilling because it's not really scary a lot less thrilling and just gets graphic in the details of a few of the murders just to be gross but even those aren't but i mean that's okay to a degree it is but it feels like it's done to a degree to try and compensate for the fact that there's no actual thrill of it you know it's Hannibal doesn't feel monstrous he doesn't feel threatening to anybody well and it's so we're gonna do this thing to completely totally humanize him but then show how monstrous he could be when he kills people which is probably the intention for that. Probably. I just think it undermines the whole thing. And Clarice was so much more unlikable in this book. I mean, there could be a reason for that. I do. We'll get to that in a moment. I made a note here about Osama bin Laden, which is not mentioned in the book. No. And and I found it interesting, based on some of my own personal ideas about how the media can be used, movies, TV shows, whatever. But um, this was also on the tail end of one of his bigger attacks in 98. Mm-hmm. And there was like $25 million reward, so I think that might have been part of it. I mean, because the only people mentioned are they're just called, he's on the FBI's wanted list between an arsonist and a bomber. But no one's called by name except former President Bush. This is something that I found really interesting for the timing of everything, and I knew it came out around that time, but mm-hmm. some like, 
okay, 9-11, he's responsible for it. But this came out before 9-11, so this is kind of weird. <laughs> Played into that a little bit, but I can I can justify it with the 98 attack on, I forget, I should have wrote it down, but it was a couple bombings on American embassies or something overseas. Yeah. And that's when he got elevated to top 10 status in the FBI and $25 million reward. Because... The book takes place in ninety eight, ninety nine. So it says. <laughs> well, the ninety eight is definite because it mentions the ninetieth anniversary of the FBI, which was in ninety eight. All the other references to date and timing are just so completely off. You well, have to just take. You just have to pick one and go with it. So should we just get into characters now? Not sure. I mean, we've already talked about Hannibal quite a bit. Probably is much as we need to anyways it's like i found it ironic that for this him being the titular character here i didn't have a lot to say about him i don't from think the movie perspective i don't think he was intended to be a protagonist and that's part of what makes this book so off-putting is the fact that he is now the protagonist yeah, I mean, it, as far as the movie goes, he does the things you expect him to do, and like he just uh, is another character in the world, in Clarice's world. Like this is very much a, this is a continuation of Clarice's story, which is fine. I don't know. I'd almost rather had like um in between book that just followed Clarice and dealt with Crawford disappearing and Kremler taking over and her doing something on her own. Much like the TV series is going to be. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually going to go into those details, but I don't even know if I'm going to watch it. So, to Clarice then? Uh, I suppose so. Because I got some notes on her, I'm calling it her bitchiness, for the sake of ease. Oh, because she definitely is. Um, but I... I my question on it is, do you suppose she acts so much tougher, quote-unquote, due to time in the field, or is it because she's tired of being treated like crap as a woman? Oh, I think she's just... Or is it like a little bit of all of it? Or... I think she's tired of being treated like crap in general, but uh, I mentioned when we were talking earlier that she kind of gets a bit of entitlement about her, like especially when she's dealing with witnesses and stuff, she becomes much more harsh with them. When they're not doing what she wants. Because, I mean, we get just a, a little bit of her back, like, last few years. And it, because it, I question it, too, because um, she is very much considered Crawford's golden child in Silence of the Lambs. Like, he's, here's my wing, little duck. Gonna take you in, and you're gonna be my replacement, and yeah, that's why. Like you, sh the Crawford not being there should have been addressed more, because I can also see, like, Krenler is very much a child in the way he is about things, and him being stuck on her turning him down for sexual advances. Yeah, but also like I know he gets mentioned in Silence of the Lambs. I don't. No, remember how much of a role he plays there. He, but I can see it being a little bit of 
him actually getting put in position and then stuffing her down as, hey, Crawford didn't like me and he liked you, so I'm going to take that out on you. He was put in charge of handling the Buffalo Bill stuff that she was hunted, she was working on, and she was sent back to Quantico, back to school, and then she went and did everything, and she got all the media for it and the thanks from the senator that Krenler wanted, so... Yeah, so, like, that should have been more of the play than Krenler's just a sexist pig, and he's throwing a fit about her not having sex with him. It does mention from her perspective that she's putting him down. He he never references it from his perspective. And he says he's not entirely sure. He himself doesn't know why he dislikes her so much. And then it goes on to perhaps because she vaguely looks like some woman who turned him down for sex when he was young and called him a queer. And then the whole turning him down thing. I don't... It's... Yeah, no, obviously we don't get any of that in the movie. <laughs> There's no room for it, but... And, and Clarice tells him that, you know, he's too stupid, which is true. He's not doesn't make the best choices to even be a good uh, climber. So there's that, too. I mean, there. so it sounds like there is a little bit of rivalry, and he's too stupid to understand that that's why he doesn't like her. Yeah. <laughs> and then her probably being snobbish towards him. Yeah, and she fully blames him for everything that happens to and her. As far as the snobbishness, like if you keep doing these things and you know you are good, but people keep sh- pushing you down anyways, I could see you developing that kind of, a person developing that kind of mental attitude that, no, I do deserve this because I am this good. Everybody just keeps getting that. It's kind of like a yeah. victim mentality. And that's, that's part of what it is, too, because, like, she won't get in line and she's too outspoken. And that's part of why she's being kept down. It's not all Krenler. It's her personality, too. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't want to see that. And it... it oh God, we've talked pretty at length of this outside of this. But, like, it drives me nuts that she's so involved in the field. Like, she shouldn't have been at the fish market. That's not her job. That's not what she was going into the FBI to do. Like, I don't care how good she is at shooting a gun. Like, she's there for the more forensic side of things. Yeah. Because that's what she's training for in Silence of the Lambs. It's just... Well, they... she's, she's in the field in Silence of the Lambs only to get more information to try to nail this guy and just stumbles upon him. Like, it's not even like she she knew he was there. She just stumbled upon him. Right? Behavioral science is where she wanted to be. And it even mentions it in the book when they shove her, I guess, in the basement is what it is in the movie, but they put her in behavioral science that she's finally where she was supposed to be. Yeah. So it seems like she was good enough that the... Somebody probably put her in the field. Maybe that was her actual punishment. And then those people are like gone or whatever. And everybody forgot. And then, oh, we're going to put you where you want to be is a punishment. Like, I don't know. It just, it really bothers me because that's a character change of Clarice that is unforgivable to me. Because it is a complete change in her character that she wants to be in the field. Yeah. Because she doesn't. 
Well, they mentioned that book in the two that in in the book too that she's not an adrenaline junkie. She doesn't chase it. She doesn't, you know, want that. But it's her job, and she's gonna do it. Yeah, she is afraid. It does make her cry and throw up and all this stuff. Um, but then the only like most of her bitchiness though is directed towards Bolton in the beginning, at the fish market, the DC police guy. Ah. Right, right, right. And then, and then Krenler, and both of those are completely justified, too. Like, as far as the movie goes, that's where most of it's directed. Because we don't really see her interacting with many people outside of them. Is it like, um, Krenler, the other Justice or FBI guy, I don't remember, didn't catch his name if it was even said, um, Bolton, and like Hannibal. Because she threatens... And Mason. She threatens Barney. Oh, and... Barney, yeah. She threatens Barney. There's the caretaker for the uh, old hospital, the old mental hospital, when she has to go in there looking for records. Uh, she's giving him the whole, you're going to go back where you were and you're going to wait for me to come back. And if I'm not back in an hour, you're going to do this. And he says, well, I'm supposed to be on. And she said, I've had about a, enough of this BS. And gets real mad, and then she threatens him, too. And then she's talking to uh, someone who was a secretary or a nurse at the mental hospital, trying to track down one of uh, the x-rays for mm. Hannibal. So a lot of that's combined into Barney and... For Hannibal, and she judges this nurse because she's a religious, and she was Chilton's fiance, And is a bitch toward her, too, and thinks all these, and thinks, you know, unpleasant thoughts about her, judging her for the way she acts and for what she believes in and for not giving her the information she wants. Oh, it seems like some of this would be pretty easy if you went and got warrants <laughs> or subpoenas or whatever. That, hey, I need this information because I think it'll help me find Hannibal. Oh, trying, there's another one. Trying to get uh, articles and stuff from the Hannibal Lecter collection. She just has it all seized and brought in because they were being too slow in getting it to her. And they get mad about that, the people who own it, mm -hmm. and complain against her. So she's not making herself friends anywhere. No. She really, she really can't blame Krendler for everything that happens to her. She's making her own bed. And and there's a, a police detective or whatever in Italy, not Patsy, the one that she gets the tapes from. What tapes? Uh, the video, the security footage tapes from the perfume shop. Sample sends her perfume or hand cream, hand cream. Oh, she never gets it. Krendler sends it. But it's, or no, it's... She herself never actually on the, interacts. On the letter, she thinks, oh, maybe there's trace of perfume or something as people, whatever. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Clarice doesn't interact with Italy at all. But she's talking to this guy and he starts hitting on her. and Like, a lot of it is justified for her in the books. People, like, she's very straightforward with Verger mm -hmm. as one should be with that kind of character. <laughs> yes. But, like, 
almost everybody else, there's a sexist undertone to it. So, like, her bitchiness is justified in those situations. Like, Bolton. I mean, and that one's, whether woman or not, if Clarice was Clarence in this situation and Bolton was doing the same thing, totally understandable, but he's stepping on toes and like, no, I'm going for this. I'm doing it. And she's got, no, I'm in charge here. You're listening to me. She's actually not in charge. In the movie. See, that's what changes things. Like, she gets under fire even though she wasn't in charge because the person in charge died. So she becomes the scapegoat there and she's the one who, you know, shot the Shoots. baby. Shoots Evelda. Yeah. I don't... I don't like how often the sexist thing comes up. And... Because it's below Clarice... Yes. Beneath her. Because it really is. Like, and I know we get some of that, but it's not sexism directed towards her. It's like indirect, like the funeral thing. At the funeral home in Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Yeah. Where it's accidental or incidental. Yeah. But it still means something. He's like, hey, it sets this up for them to look down on me. And you framed it as because I'm a woman. And that I can't handle these things. That's why it matters. This is feeling a little bit of a callback to it. But, <laughs> like, things like that happen in Silence of the Lambs. And, and there is some with guys looking her over or whatever. Which, whatever. Like, people do that. Women do it, too. Yes. It's just We're just supposed to pretend that only men do it. She does it, too. Mm. That was... We talked about that. In, in my notes. Oh, do you suppose that Clarice knows where he is deep down? That she knows he's in Italy? Mm-hmm. Um, no. I don't really think she has a reason to suspect he's in Italy. That she knows where he is. I mean, if I were Hannibal, I'd be smart and I wouldn't go there first, but he's got all those drawings. He doesn't go there first. And uh, Let me finish. Okay. <laughs> Because he has all the drawings and stuff that he made of Italy. So, if I were the FBI looking for him, that's the first place I would check. But Hannibal's smarter than that and would not go there first. He goes after children first. You know that. In South America somewhere. Right? Brazil. Yeah, South America somewhere. <laughs> but if I were Clarice, I would... With this implied connection that she has with him it seems reasonable that he would still end up there well yeah i mean it's honestly kind of an obvious thing because like you said all the drawings that he would eventually end up there Mm -hmm. after you know he goes to brazil for his plastic surgery so he looks different yeah (laughs) yeah because he cuts his finger off and yeah he gets his finger taken off he gets collagen injections to change the shape of his face about the only thing he can't do is his eye color. And he doesn't do his nose because he doesn't want to ruin his sense of smell. Mm. That's what it was. Because in the movie he smokes. And it pisses me off because that fucks up your sense of smell. And taste. Hannibal wouldn't smoke. I remember that pissing me off. Because <laughs> I was watching the movie and I'm like, I know there's a reason why I'm upset that he smokes. 
but where does it come from? <laughs> Hannibal wouldn't smoke. It, it affects your smell and your taste. That's just silly. Mm, that was the other thing I talked about. Um, Hannibal sexualizing her. And it, it, especially for the movie, where they lean so heavy on her objectification as a sexual object, that it kind of pulls away from that thematic element because Hannibal should be the counter to that. Yeah. I don't think in the book it really sexualizes her. He, he talks about her smell. He could recognize her smell anywhere. Which... It's just part of the Hannibal character. And he looks at her picture just from the Tatler while he plays music, uh, specifically something written by Henry VIII about love. So it's not really sexualized. He does do that... Um, that patent for a clock where she's the crucified uh, Christ, but he has the hands done so it's covering things, so it's not even overtly sexual that way. It's more about uh, the crucifixion than anything. The martyrdom. Yeah. Yeah, no, it just, I, I established pretty well that Hannibal sexualizes her. So, like, she's much more to him than that, though. Yes, I like Ellie. Okay. Alrighty. So, I don't have a whole lot of notes on Mason Berger, because he is present for the most part. Or he, he, is, he does have a strong presence, but it, it doesn't mean anything. He is kind of essentially just there to drive the hunt for Hannibal, because the FBI are kind of just waiting for him to stumble across them, or someone to stumble across him. But Mason is actively uh, paying people to look for him. Yeah. So my first note on Mason Berger is Gary Oldman is always a win. Gary Oldman is always a win. This is one of my... I think this is one of his best roles as, like, an actor. Because it just... I mean, prosthetics aside, like, you don't recognize him at all. Like, I can pick up hints of his voice every now and again when he's, like, yelling and stuff, but... Yeah. It's just so off the mark for, like, stuff he's known for doing. Because he's not even, like... He doesn't... isn't cast type as any particular thing either. Mm-hmm. He's just so good. He is so good. <laughs> and then, um... I've got a point here where he seems to want to pretend to be like Lecter. But he's clumsy about it because he doesn't actually understand the person. He doesn't actually understand what Hannibal's doing. He's just projecting what he thinks about the person onto them and attacking those things. And I should have wrote down. Because, like, how Hannibal will pick you apart and, like, point at yeah. things and he can clue, cue in on, on them pretty quickly. Uh, I don't really get that. I mean, he kind of does it to torment the children. He picks on what makes them afraid. I just, I don't understand Mason other than he's fucked up and really I think he's more of a monster than Hannibal. The fact that, oh, he, yeah. that he tortures children. <laughs> and, and, but he thinks he's okay because he's right with Jesus. Yeah. He thinks everything he's, is okay. He, he brings children in to be tortured in front of him for his entertainment. And it's just, he's a sick Language. Which maybe that's the commentary with religion, is how 
fucked up some of these people are. It's not really religion. It's individuals and the church that people are actually wanting to criticize most of the time. Yeah. It's not Christianity as a religion because that's usually what gets attacked by atheists. They don't, you know, most of the big ones don't go after Islam or Judaism or anything. It's only ever Christianity. But it, it, this is also at the time of um, the Catholic Church scandal. Yep. That, uh, right? Because that was in the 90s when mm -hmm. that finally came to light. So, like, I wonder if it's commentary on that in that regards that these people who say that they're good are actually horrible, vile, monstrous people. Some of them, not all of them. But, I mean, the church is implicit in that. Because covering up for these people and shuffling them around and not taking appropriate action and all the horrible things the church has done in the past. But again, that's specific people who are in that position of power. It's not the average everyday person who... Maybe that's why they made him a child torturer and hit on his faith cause, uh, because of the, the church targeting children. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. And man, does the church cover it up well. I remember that. Because I went I went to Catholic school, and just one day our priest just went on sabbatical. And we had a new one. He moved on to better things. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them did. Some of them, instead of being um, punished for it, were promoted. Yep. Just, just gross. That's what happened to our priest. He was just promoted. He was just gone the next day, promoted, and out. And it wasn't until years later that I realized, oh. Yeah. <laughs> when you could understand better what. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any of that was connected to this area. We don't really have a strong Catholic presence here, so. Oh, I lived in a place with so, a like, very. So, like, this would have been a perfect place to hide them. <laughs> I lived in a place with a very strong Catholic presence. Yep. But, and, and that's just something that I just now was like, oh. <laughs> That makes sense. It does make sense. <laughs> I understand if that's the re the reason. I understand I mean, the metaphor of Mason more now. Cause um. Cause I I couldn't figure out why we just have this monster torturing children and hunting Hannibal. Who's supposed to be highly religious now? Yes, but now I get it. Even while I was spending the entire book trying to figure out the timeline. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're too focused on these other things. Yeah. Oh shoot! I had a thought there. And it fluttered away. I'm sorry. But that does bring me to back to your Mason wrote the letter oh. about the Philistines thing. Mm -hmm. Is I don't think Mason would have understand. Although he would have the reference for the well, Philistines thing. He wouldn't uh, put. How long is that letter in the book too? Which, which letter? Because I've got the, two. The Philistines. It is literally just a piece of paper. With Clarice's face glued onto it, cut out from the Tatler, and just the line about the Philistines. Okay, so what's the line about the Philistines? Because I didn't write it down, and it, it's so weird that it doesn't... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's got a pretty significant purpose. Um, Did you ever think, Clarice, why the Philistines don't understand you? It's because you're the answer to Samson's riddle. You are the honey in the lion. I don't think Mason would have attributed that to Clarice from Hannibal's perspective. I, I'm, I'm not specifically attached to it myself, so that's why, like, for the movie version, it makes sense, because it doesn't 
I don't know. It seems out of place for Hannibal too, which is why I think it works like that in the movie. And maybe that's other people not fully getting it. Why do you think it's out of place for him? Because I don't understand the reference. Oh, oh. So it doesn't, it just seems like gibberish to me. Because the reference is, uh, the riddle is out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. That's the riddle. It's what is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion because uh, Samson kills a lion and it's full of honey, I believe is what happens. Because where, where that riddle comes from, because it comes from the personal experiences of Samson, and that's why no one's able to answer it. Which I think is why uh, Mason couldn't have written it, because it comes from the personal experience of Hannibal with Clarice that he attributes it to Clarice, the honey and the lion. And the Philistines, the FBI, can't understand Clarice because they don't have her personal experiences, the Samson riddle, because it comes from personal experience, to understand her. And they never will. Just like they never are able to answer the riddle because they never have those experiences. Yeah, because I got that the Philistines are supposed to be the FBI. Like, I attributed that part of the metaphor. I just, I didn't know, I don't know this situation. Well, clearly you should have gone to Catholic girls' school too. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Then you'd get the reference. (laughs) It is kind of an obscure reference if you're not familiar but then I guess the story of Samson is a common one. Yeah, like, I I would have to... It's still not fully clicking for me right now. I, it's something I'd have to, like, read and think about a little bit more. But, anyways, my pin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we're waiting for something to just float by for us to catch on to, <laughs> like with the FBI or something. <laughs> I... I really started to question uh, Thomas Harris's personal politics. And he's a very reclusive guy. He doesn't interact with the world hardly at all. So it makes it difficult to actually pinpoint what it is. But I think but I think he wears all of this on his sleeve and it all makes it into, like his ideas make it into his books. And I, I've given Waco and his connection to that and then um, his newer book, uh, I forget what it's called, but do you mind? <laughs> um, with his newer book, he, he volunteers at something. God, I should have taken better notes on this. Um, you were going to talk about it, yeah. He, he volunteers at this place, and it makes it into his new book. And, like, that's the only outside world interaction that he has with anybody. Yeah. But then you have these themes that keep reoccurring, you know, the criticism of the government and all these things. And I think he's from Kentucky, if I remember correctly. So it stands out very much, too, that he has a very liberal mindset. I think it's a little bit more left libertarian, maybe, or libertarian style left. But, like I said, like, he's never out been particularly outspoken about it himself so it's hard to say for sure but given how much personal stuff makes it into these books it doesn't it wouldn't surprise me yeah because i was going to comment on that earlier and just didn't get a chance to fit it in uh you got anything else you want to say on krenler no he's just 
typical slimy bureaucrat, really. Yeah, I don't know, I called him a pig man. His homoism. Because it's not a phobia, it's not a fear, it's an ism, like racism. Because <laughs> um, he's got the one line, I always pegged him for a queer, which is kind of really the only instance of it. There's more in the book. The way he treats Mason's sister. Uh, the fact that he attributes uh, Clarice rejecting him to the fact that she's queer because she lives with her friend. And why else would you do that if you weren't, you know, queer? And he calls their house a dyke den. And all this nonsense. He does He does hit it a little more. Yeah. This is the only one that really stood out to me. I don't think there's really any much more. But it's a line coming from Krendler that, and directed towards Hannibal, that could very easily just be more criticism of the justice system and how they viewed, especially him being um, 70s, 80s era in the book, and that not being translated or updated properly for the movie. Yeah. Um, that, yes, there are some serial killers and other types of bad people who are homosexual and I, I mean we see it in Red Dragon how they just attribute queerness to them yeah because deranged messed up people so I mean that's and and the systemic homoism of that and and how it's used to dehumanize these people and such forth fiddle faddle in this context is not fiddle faddle because people were saying these untrue things I don't know which death of Mason I like better, the book or the movie. Yeah. Well, in the book, his sister kills him, mm -hmm. which I think is good for her, as Hannibal suggests when he talks to her, because it's... Cathartic. Cathartic, because of everything Mason did to her, for her to do it. But I also like the way the movie did it, where he's eaten by his own pigs. What does she do? She stuffs an eel down his throat. Nice. And the eel eats his tongue and he drowns in his own blood. Yeah, no, either way, there's some good poetic justice to it. There is. I, I think I think the movie is a little bit more, is a little less subtle about it, maybe. Yeah. But, especially since that's what he's wanting to do to Hannibal and just desserts and all that. Plus it ties back to, ties back to what Hannibal did to him. And how they start with his face. Yes. See, I do like that. But I do like also um, that Margot does it because I feel like it also gets, I'm going to call it revenge. It's not the right word I, I want, though, for all the children he's tortured to, especially since Margot. Justice. Justice, thank you. Margot goes on to adopt one of the children. We watched him torture throughout the book who he talks into eating rat poison. Uh, she does end up, you know, mm. saving that kid. Yeah, um, I mean, you don't that none of that stuff's present in the movie, so that's kind of irrelevant. But like a lot of those attributes get applied to Cordell, his physician. Real quick, breaking in, I'm trying to, because I have watched the movie, but it's been a while. Cordell, he's kind of a Weasley, <clears throat> kind of lawyery kind of guy. Looking. He seems like it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like you. When you first see him, you get the impression that he's a lawyer or something for Mason and just always present there and that he's fully on board. And then it comes time for Hannibal to be eaten by the pigs. He's like, eh, that's too much for me. 
Oh, no, because he's a, in the book, he's a kind of a big fucking dude who's, you know, all down with it. Yeah, it's it's weird, his sudden shift. Yeah. But I, I was just trying to remember correctly. Cordell and, and Mark, right? Margo. Margo. Yeah, they kind of get combined into one character. Because, like, without all the other stuff, Margot doesn't really need to be there. Although it is interesting that they're both queer, Mason and Margot. Oh, not weird. It's it's interesting that they both would be. I guess. And I say queer because, like, I don't know if it's fully, if he's fully only interested in dudes or if he's just a swinging dude. I mean, I guess. I don't, I don't know why it's interesting. Well, it... So, like I talked about with Krenler and the justice system, you know, attributing queerness to people because they're bad. Yeah. And then Margot being there as a counter to that, to Krenler, but also her brother is queer, by at the very least, maybe fully interested in dudes. Not real clear. Yeah. At, at least from the movie's perspective. So that she's that counter to it, and that's the interesting part. Mm. And that they're siblings. And um, I want to touch back on Clarice, because I kind of overlooked this because of my secondary note, is what I want to talk about, really. Um, but with everything that plays out and how Hannibal pushes her, it makes sense that she would bleed. Yeah. And then she does it in the movie. But it, it the story doesn't present enough of her sticking to her own principles. Like, the what makes her stand out from the rest of the FBI because she goes rogue and does all this stuff on her own. Yeah. And it's not... It's not clear enough if it's because she's doing it because of her principles or she's doing it for... because of her own emotions and for her own self-interest. Well, I think in the... Book, she continues to do it for principles because when she does decide to go rogue, she's like, if Mason was just going to take him and kill him, fine. But she can't abide by the fact that she's going to torture him. Yeah. And that's ultimately what makes her go, is she can't handle the fact that he's going to be tortured. Yeah. Because it's... Clarice knows in the movie that Mason has Hannibal, even though they go search his place and he's not there. Because he's not there. And then she continues on on her own. And it's there's no dialogue or internal thing or even like a metaphorical instance of her why she's doing this to explain it. It's just we see her driving on a back road to the back side of his property and goes and finds him. Nope. She goes that no one's going to do anything because Mason's discredited her because... Mason made a call earlier saying that, you know, Clarice has been harassing him and he invites the sheriff out early to tour his house before, so police are never actually sent because the sheriffs were just there and everything was fine. They were having a tour. So she's completely discredited and she has to do it herself because, again, she can't, can't handle him being tortured. Get that, like we get the end of it, like we see, do we see the police go out? I don't know. Either way, we see the end of the tour, and hey, thanks for stopping by. Tell you know, Mister Verger that we're sorry, but had to do this. And Cordell's interacting with him. No, not a problem. We're always glad to see you. So there's an implication that he has connections with the D.C. police and or sheriffs or whatever. Maybe slipping him some money here and there or whatnot. Well, there's no implications without a doubt. Well, he is. <laughs> and I mean, 
it's implied in the movie because that's all we get. Mm. So they're very friend. They're on very friendly terms with each other. And it, I mean, for the sake of this, it could be something as simple as just giving a lot of money to the policeman's ball or whatever it is, like yeah. open upfront donations. But because he he straight up tells Krenler, "Don't worry about it. I've got these. I've got these guys." Yeah, I, I well, no, I think in his one conversation, I think he's like, "Hey, don't worry. I got this handled." So I'm going to talk about how I think this story would have been a little bit better for a second is that it's another high-profile case like Buffalo Bill, and somehow Hannibal is able to see that she is struggling because he's very interested in her, so he would keep up on her career. Yeah. And, you know, it, down to forensics, and he sees that she's struggling with this one, so he starts offering his help again. Yeah. And other things happen that bring him out, and, like, it, you'd have to do some a lot of reworking, but making... To include Mason if you even wanted to, to get Hannibal and Clarice back together to like force that to happen. I think even had, um, and like her communicating with him without the FBI's knowledge. I think even Potsy having stumbled across him like he did because he does just stumble across him and, huh. and then it brings it to light. He didn't have to call and tell Mason, ultimately, when Potsy got killed, or even Potsy bringing it to anybody's attention, I just... Well, because I think... Mason does feel superfluous. In the beginning, he doesn't suspect that it's Hannibal, but he suspects something happened, and that Fell is responsible for his predecessor disappearing. You do get that sense in the movie that he suspects something about him. Not that he's Hannibal, but that he's responsible for the disappearance. Yes, he does suspect that, and then it goes on to describe when he figures it out. It's just kind of one of those aha moments we all have where things we know just kind of click together. And that's what does it, is he just has an aha moment. Like, Potsy, too, I think was even a setup for Clarice choosing to leave, because it goes into Potsy's decision, should I do my job and bring him in the right way, or should I go against the grain and do it for... Selfish reasons. Selfish reasons. Because it... And he then chose selfish reasons. So it set up Clarice also being faced with that choice. Which I guess in the movie she made the other choice. She makes no choice in the book. But it set up a place for her to make that choice. It, it established that choices were coming. Well, yeah, there, there is that one where she does follow her principles, I suppose. I overlooked that one. Yes. Because it kind of... I, I was past it already, I think, by the time I decided to focus on that. Realizing this makes me hate the hypnotism again, because it set up a place for another choice to happen. Yeah, because she does call him back later when Hannibal's in the process of killing him. And she says, I've gone over your head. I told your boss that you found Hannibal Lecter and that you're trying to capture him on your own. But by then, it's already too late. But... Yeah, I like the fact that she didn't have any interaction but with him better. But that is very much a principled decision that she makes. That, no, this is the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And, and it's an easy one, though, for her in the movie because she's, save, she's doing it to save this dude's life. She knows what Hannibal's capable of and his willingness to do things. And although I hate that she, when she's first talking to him, she says um, that he just... Or no, it, it, when she's talking to somebody about, I think she's talking to Barney, maybe. 
that all the police treated him badly. Yeah. And that week when he was in their custody. Because they didn't. It was only like one or two that treated him badly. Everybody else died as a matter of circumstance. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I understand the, 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 how it was important to her character, the character she was in the movie, and for the pacing of it all for her to interact with Potsy. But I liked it better in the book that she didn't that she was separate from all of that, because I think it further isolates her from the FBI, mm-hmm. that she was the last to know this happened. Yeah. That anything was happening in Italy at all. She was the last to know. And I like that much better, because it pushes her further away from the FBI, so that she could make the choice. God, I do love that line in the movie, though. Hmm. Which one? Uh, the one Hannibal says at the end when her hair's in the freezer. Oh. You've said Would you it ever... Yeah, that one. Would you ever tell me to stop? Or would you say to me, stop? If you really love me, stop. Yes. Loved that. I think that was turned me on to dark romances. I, I think that was part of it, too, was, like, having the movie before reading the book. Because, like, I got through the movies, and then I went through the books, like, immediately afterwards. Because I, I was just captivated by the character. I wish I had never read the book. I'm sorry. So... I think it's a fail. I, I think I think it's a fail too. I mean we had some good conversations here, but we did, but the characters were established so but differently. This is from... a very tarnished episode too, because we had talked about it quite a bit beforehand. We have. We still covered everything again. We did repeat it. I think part and, and I have seen this movie. It's been a while, but I have seen this and, movie. Like, again, like I read all these books, but that was twenty years ago. Like almost to the day twenty years ago. But I, I think the characters are all two different movie to book. It didn't carry over. And like I, I kinda really wish that Jodie Foster would have stuck around because I think she would like the movie version of Clarice much more than the book version. Because from what I read she didn't do it because she didn't like what happened to Clarice in the book? That is something that I believe she said, but then she came out afterwards and was very adamant that no, the reason why I didn't come back is because I was working on another movie. Mm. And she stuck to that pretty solidly afterwards so but I could also see her not being like this is one of those things that she kind of latched on to and brought a lot of life to the character and meant a lot to her so I could still see I could see both being I don't know when I read both the books I pictured Julian more um so yeah that was Hannibal um that was Hannibal or what are we doing next did we figure it out we... Did you find the list? No, I haven't found the list. I suggested the omen. We can do the omen. You got misery also. Yeah, but I don't want to read Stephen King. I mean, I know I will have to eventually, but I don't want to right now. And you just made, ruined a movie for me with this book, so you owe me no more Stephen King right now. Okay. <laughs> I guess we're doing the omen next. <laughs> which would be an interesting one. I didn't even know there was a book for it. <laughs> yeah, we've got both. Uh, Our... We've got omen one and omen two. That's what I was... Are we going to do both of those then? Oh, we've got the Howling also. We do. But we're going to do the Omen. All right. Omen next for movie book. And I don't know where we're at with movies with my monsters and all the other stuff. All right. So, all that being said, you know how social medias work. And thanks for listening. Toodles.